If you have not been with us in recent weeks in the book of Revelation in Sunday school that we're going through, we talked a couple, two, three weeks, actually I spent more than just a couple weeks on it, on the part in the book of Revelation that is singing that song about the blood of Christ. We made observation that that is a, that is a term that's being taken more and more out of songs. Because as modern people are thinking, it seems too rude and crude to be talking about a sacrifice and a blood given one man's blood for another. But it's going to be the song that we're going to sing when we get into heaven. Revelation 5 talks about worthy is the Lamb whose blood was slain for us. And that message that Jesus Christ's blood was shed, literally, in a spiritual sense as well, so that you and I could have eternal life. That is the message of the gospel. Even though people today don't like it, it might sound horrible, Jesus Christ came to this earth, suffered a vicious death, not because he had done anything wrong, but he suffered for the wrongs that we have done. And you and I have the opportunity to be able to call upon him and ask him to forgive us the sins that we have done so we can get into heaven. And Jesus Christ made it clear that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And he made that opportunity for any and all, if they would repent of their sins, recognize that Jesus and Jesus only is the one who can get us into heaven. Not a church, not baptism, not a denomination, not a parent, not a family tie, not our own goodness. It's only Jesus Christ who can save no other name given among men whereby men must be saved. And so if you have never yet called upon Christ to be your Savior, our message to you is still the cross. It's still the blood. You need Jesus Christ to be your Savior. Won't you call upon Him this day? This is a good day to be born again. This is a good day to ask Jesus Christ to give you forgiveness. Then you know for certain that you're on your way to heaven. And what a delight, what a joy to know that one day we'll be with Christ. Just in the last few weeks, we lost one of our oldest couples in our church. They both went to be with the Lord, the Hitzes. Mom and Pop Hitz used to sit right in here when they were able to come. And this past week, week and a half ago, he went to be with the Lord following his wife. We're going to do a service, a memorial service in March, March 18th, I believe, that Saturday, when the family can gather and do a service for both of them. But it's always was nice to go and visit with Marlon. And he would just keep on saying, I can't wait to get home. I can't wait to get home. He realized home wasn't here. Home was there. Friend, if you don't know for sure, the Bible says these things have written unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. Our prayer, our hope is you have that knowledge. So, Father, if there's any here who haven't accepted Christ, I pray that you would use so far what we've sung about to speak to hearts. So far, what was mentioned that would just challenge them to make sure of their eternal destiny. Now speak to the rest of our hearts, who are those of us who are born again, and challenge us in this very practical area of helping to build our homes into stronger places. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been talking the last few weeks about strengthening the grip on several different practical areas. The one that I've talked about the last two weeks is the idea of family. I want to talk about this morning and this evening again. And the area that we're talking about is dealing with family. So I thought I'd do a little bit of research this week and just find out what is going on, typical families, things like that here in America. And the typical American family, the average age to marry, what do you think it was? In 18, uh, uh, 1890s, what age were guys on average when they got married? 
What about the ladies? These are stats that are taken from U.S. Census, and usually it covered the East Coast primarily, east of the Mississippi. And at that time, the women were 20, the men were 22 years of age. When we bring that into 2021, what's the average age for getting married? Ladies. What do you think it is for guys? Yeah, right now, 28 years and guys 30 years old. So it's going a little bit later. Average number of children per family unit, 1890. What was it? It was five, and now it's two on the average family. Okay, average household income in 1890. Annual income, what do you think? 500 to $1,000. Today's average median income, 70000 A little bit of a difference. But then again, gas is a whole lot higher than it was in 1890. So when we're talking about salary, what do you think if a stay-at-home mom is paid for all the work she does? How much does she get? Can't afford it is right. Okay, that's absolutely right. 60000 That was in 1890. Okay. Average right now, is, they figure, is 162. Yeah, she's worth a lot. She's worth a lot. No, so the survey is done and by the U.S. News World Report of, the, of top executives here in America. And they were talking about different things, and they found some very interesting tie-ins to the families that I, I found fascinating. The average age was all at 55 years old. They found that 87% were still married to their first spouse. They found that 92% were raised in a two-parent household. Their conclusion was that the family really impacts success in the world. Surprise! So we want to talk about that idea of, okay, here we go. We're talking about families and building stronger families. And maybe even people who go to church sometimes, maybe we need to give some attention to it. Maybe like one pastor wrote about family in his church. They had just done the child dedication service. They were driving home. They had their, their baby and they had their toddler in the car. The toddler, who was about four years old, kept crying in the back seat. Mom and dad were saying, what's wrong? What's wrong? Why are you crying? Why are you crying? And finally he spoke up and he answered. He said, the pastor said that they were praying for me and baby Johnny to grow up in a good Christian home and I want to stay with you. I don't want to have to live somewhere else. Okay, you and I don't want that from our kids. We never want to hear anything like that. So what do we do to make sure that our homes are exactly what that pastor was praying for? What do we do? We've been talking about that. Number one you need to do is let God be a welcome partner in your life. In your, in your daily walk, so that you have that right relationship. You're born again. You're walking with him. You're sensitive. You're dedicated. You're sensitive to not doing sin. So you're going to be sensitive to other people. And you're going to take ownership when you've done wrong. You're going to repent. You're going to try to do what's right. You're going to try to be more Christ-like in your part, your activity with the home. Then we've been talking about this. There are certain rules 
that every family needs to, impl- to apply to their own homes. And we talked about some of these rules. If you want to go back, you can see all the different or hear the different messages. They're online. Or if you need notes, contact. But we've talked about these things about, you know, letting God be a part, complementing, not competing against each other, making sure that you're living independent of your parents and dependent upon your spouse, the idea of your spouse becoming your primary relationship, the idea of making a lifetime commitment. Don't even bring up the idea of about, well, if things don't get better, I'm leaving. Don't even go there. Don't even let that be a thought in your mind. The idea of the relationship for marriage partners only. And here's where we've parked for last week, this week, is God has specific roles for different peoples within the home. We talked about it last week, about some of the roles God has for the husband and wife. We're going to talk a little bit more about that this evening, wrap up that section. And so what I wanted to do this morning, though, is talk to an element Anybody who's a child, what is your responsibility? I think that includes most of us here, okay, tongue-in-cheek. What, what is our responsibility in the home and when we are out of the home? What, do we, what are we supposed to be doing? So what we know, and if you head with me to Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2. Okay, is where I want to park, first of all, in just a few minutes from now. But if we were to take some of those most familiar verses that are specifically addressed to children, we would have to jump, first of all, all the way back in the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God gives thee. Repeated in the New Testament, where in Ephesians and Colossians, it's stated again, children, obey your parents and the Lord in all things. Then in Ephesians 2, he picks it up a little bit in chapter 6, verse 2, and he says, and honor your father and mother. Now, you and I have to pause and just say, what does it mean, obey? Literally, the word is to hear under, to listen to. The idea of honor is to highly value, to esteem, to, to respect, to consider as very important. So we look and say, okay, what about, how, how does this apply to me? Okay, I'm at such and such an age. How does this specifically apply? Okay, do I still have to obey my parents? Well, We already talked about this, okay, in the sense that we know that when he says the words, he is talking to physical offspring, okay, that's the techna, that shows up in Ephesians 6, where he says children, it is usually referring to those who are still dependent, living in the home with their parents. So he's talking typically to those who were, you know, the adolescents and below, those who were pre you know, their majority. They're still considered minors. Let's, let's put it that way. And he's looking and he's saying, okay, you're to obey your parents. We know that according to Genesis 2, which we talked about two weeks ago, that when we leave our father and mother and cleave on to our wife, we understand that already from the very beginning, God had to design that. That relationship with my mom and dad broke, and now my relationship is, or it's, it's changed, and now I'm going to be focused more on my own family and doing things. I no longer have to be obedient to my mom and dad in that respect. Okay, so I don't have to follow all their rules. I have my own home and responsible and established. But if you're a minor, if you're a dependent, still living in your parents' home, then you have that application that says, okay, children. But what about honoring? What about children honoring? 
do I, at such and such an age, do I still, I'm not obligated to obey, but am I obligated to respect my parents? Or do I grow out of it at a certain age that I can talk to them rudely, crudely? No. So when we look at Scripture, Scripture portrays respect is a lifelong aspect. That we're supposed to be respectful to our parents no matter what our age, no matter what their age. Okay? And so we have this, this very simplistic thought here that God's role for young people, especially those that are minority age, be obedient. God's role for all of us as children is to be respectful to our parents. Okay, so we know that's very simple. In fact, let me just point out the commands and just some details out of that Ephesians 6, Colossians passage as well. The commands are universal. When he says children obey, the word basically, as you already said, includes any, a toddler up to a teen is where that techna is used in the New Testament. So it's universally applying to all of those who are youth in the home. Doesn't talk about male or female, doesn't talk about tall, short, doesn't talk about width, doesn't talk about brain capacity. He just says, children, you're supposed to be obeying, listening. It's unconditional. What that means, young people, is this. You're to obey in all things. It doesn't say, if your parents promised da-da-da-da-da-da doesn't say that. Obey if you like it. Obey if it goes along with it. doesn't say that. You're to have a spirit of obedience in all areas, even in such things as standard of dress, even such things as a curfew, even such things as what type of entertainments your parents may say are good or not good in your family. You're to be obeying in all those areas as long as they don't ask you to sin in the Lord. Which means, okay, I, I, don't, I don't obey a boss. I don't obey a government if they're asking me to go against God's word. I don't obey, even in the family setting, if they're asking you to go against God's word. And that's not going to be the case here. Because most everybody here is going to say parents are going to follow the word of God. But let me make another observation. It's an unending compliance. What we mean by that is you obey not just today... Or not just on Saturdays, or not just the day you want something, you're to obey, 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 obey. This is to be the nature, the characteristic of your life when it comes to your relationship with your parents, that you are known as being an obedient child, one who typically does that. It is to be unbiased. It says your parents, not just dad. Not just mom. Okay, some of you are in a single parent home. Then whoever that parent is. Some of you, you have both parents. You're to be obedient for both of them. Not just to your dad when dad's here or, you know, whatever. And you're supposed to be doing this whether they're present or not. So you go through the scriptures and say, okay, let's just be very simplistic. Why should I be obedient? Well, I want, to, I want to shift gears here for a second. Obedience to your parents is becoming really Christ-like. You who are born again, you are called Christian. 
That means you're to be more and more like Jesus Christ. That is what we're supposed to be conforming to. Day in and day out, God has predetermined that we are conforming in our lives, becoming more Christ-like, more and more and more and more, and eventually it'll happen when we get into heaven that we'll be changed and totally conformed. But in this life, God's will for you in me, is to become more like Christ. How do you do that as somebody who's a teenager living at home? You do what Christ did when it comes to his relationship with his parents. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 is a setting of a very familiar story. Jesus at this time is with his parents. They travel to Jerusalem. And we pick up the story where it says in verse 41, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when he was, how old? Twelve years of old. They went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. When they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child, Jesus, tarried. Joseph and Mary knew it not. But they, supposing to have been in the company, went a day's journey. They sought him among their kinfolk and acquaintance, and when they found him not, they turned back to Jerusalem. Lest you think Mary and Joseph are horrible, awful parents to leave their child behind, okay? That, that wouldn't have been... That. Now, I understand certain children you would want to leave behind, okay? Jesus, you wouldn't. He would be, a, he would be the child that you wish they would all kind of mimic after. And you'd be careful saying that, but you would think that. So how is it that they forgot Jesus? Understand the custom of that day. When they were headed to Jerusalem, part of this feast day is Jesus is 12 years old. He is coming to that point where he is going to become a son of the law. And they would do that at that time where he would go and speak to the rabbis in the temple... And they would interview, make sure he knows enough of his, his Bible beliefs, some churches, they would call it modern days catechism, that he'd be aware of it. And then if he passed the test, then he would basically be considered now a son of the law that he, in the, in the next few years, he is now a young man. He has to make sacrifice for his own self. Not just under mom and dad's sacrifice. He has to be more responsible. And he would, in his training, move up to a new level of learning the law from the rabbis back home. And so when they were headed to Jerusalem, he was still considered a kid, a youngster, a child. After he went through that process, he would be considered a young man. Okay? So when they traveled, usually they wouldn't all travel as a family right together. They would travel with groups because of the need for safety. And as they would travel, usually the group of the men would be at the front, group of the men would be at the back, some intermingled here, and they would travel this way with the ladies and the children, the ladies and the children, and the men providing protection at both ends or even from the middle. So on the way up, who would Jesus be traveling with? He's a little kid yet. He'd be with the ladies, with the kids. If they're traveling back, he has now graduated to be walking with the who? With the men. And so Mary is assuming Jesus is with... Joseph is assuming... Yeah, it would easily happen. Does it ever happen here? You come in two cars... You leave in two cars and you leave somebody behind? Say amen or I'm going to give names and illustrations. <laughs> so what happens here is Jesus is, they don't realize until a day 
They've traveled all day. What would they do at the end of the traveling day that they would realize he's gone? They would eat. Now we're going to make camp. We're going to eat at the end of the day. So they look around. He's not there. He's not with any of the other family or friends' tents. And so they've got to go back and find him. When they go back and find him, they find him in the temple. And it says... It came to pass in verse 46, after three days, they found him in the temple sitting in the midst. Understand, that's a day traveling, day back, and they had to be searching around town for him. Okay, Sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions, and all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when mom and dad saw him, they were amazed. And his mother, they were shocked. And his mother, if I were the mother of the dad, I'd walk up, I'm so glad to see you, now I'm going to kill you. Okay. <laughs> So they say this to him. They say, as they talk, they say, Son, why have you dealt with us this way? Parents, do you understand what their tone is? Why'd you do this to me? Behold, your father and I, we've been seeking for you. What emotion was going? Sorrowing. They're really upset. Okay? And Jesus' response says, How is it that you sought me? Didn't you know I must be about my father's business? They understood not the saying which he speak unto them. So Jesus in this thing, you know, it's clear. They don't understand Jesus as, as where he's at. They don't understand totally. Now they have glimpses of who he is, what he is. They have prophecy. But they don't understand totally. This is the first awareness that we have in Scripture where Jesus is aware of his mission, his plan, what he's to be doing. And he responds. And yet in his response, he's respectful. He's respectful in saying, don't you understand? You were told by Simeon that certain things were going to happen. Don't you, don't you remember, Mom and Dad? So there's respect. There, there's the absence of, leave me alone. There's the absence of, oh, I'm 13. I'm a man. There's none of that. There's none of that. Watch what happens in the rest of the text. It says, they understood not, and keep that in mind, they understood not what he spake unto them. He went down with them and came to Nazareth, and what's your Bible read? Was subject unto them. What's the word subject? What does that mean? He was obedient to them. But his mother kept all these sayings. He increased in wisdom and stature. Do you understand what he's done? Despite being a man, a young man now, he is still going to be respectful and obedient to them, even though he is superior to them. Is that true? Does he know more than they know? Okay. Is he, is he got greater abilities than they do? Okay. Even though he can look and say they don't understand. My parents just don't get me. He's still going to be obedient. Okay, even though he has a calling from God, he knows he's got this calling from God. Makes it clear, I've got to be about my father's business. I'm still going to be obedient. I need to be obedient because that doesn't engage until I become independent of my parents. And so you have this, you know, this idea of obedience and respect in Christ. And this is going to go on for years in his life until he does his public ministry. So if you're going to you know, say, I, I'm going, I, I want to be Christ-like, then you're going to be obedient to your parents, despite they not getting you, despite you becoming a young adult, despite they don't catch everything, they don't even know how to work their phones, you know, you're still going to be obedient and respectful. 
Jesus was respectful in John 2. Do you remember this situation? They're at the wedding of Cana. Jesus has already begun his ministry. They come, and Mary comes up to Jesus, and basically, you got to turn there, okay, just to make sure we understand. Most of you understand it, but I, I want to make sure we all get it. In John chapter 2, the story is the third day there was a marriage, third day after his baptism, his public pronouncement. The third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. Somebody they know, they got invited. And his disciples got invited. And that makes perfect sense, by the way. Because did you realize that several of his disciples were related to him? Did you understand that? That several of them are his cousins. And so it's not a shock that they're invited to this wedding. It's probably some relative of some sort. And it's not surprising that Mary has some role in helping to organize the kitchen. It's because she's the one that comes and she says they have no wine. In verse 3, they've run out. And to run out of food, oh, what a faux pas. What a terrible thing in that culture. I mean, it, was, it, it would be horrible in this culture. But it was just horrible, horrible, horrible. And Jesus says to her, verse 4, what does your Bible read? Woman, what have I to do with you? Mine hour has not yet come. Doesn't that sound harsh? It, it's not. That, that was just my interpretation. In the original that's recorded, it is not like that woman. Okay. What he's, he's extremely respectful. The word that he uses, even though he's a young man, is dear lady. It's a very polite and proper term. And it's very respectful. And it's very uplifting in that culture of that day. And he responds and he says in a respectful sense... What am I supposed to be doing? My hour has not yet come. Do you understand what he's saying? He knows, he knows what God's got a timetable. And he knows his mom wants to move the timetable up. This is an opportunity, Jesus. Show yourself. You know, do something. She understands he's got, he's got great ability. More, there's, you know, how, I don't know. This is the very, by the way, this is the first miracle that Jesus did. That's the scriptures clearly says. But there's a greater awareness, and she wants him. She's pushing him. You know, Jesus, do something. Snap your fingers. Say a word. You know, do something. And he responds, my hour has not yet come. My hour is, you, you, you're expecting more than I want, and I can do. I will do something, but mom, not all that you want. Respectful. Even though, again, there is a misunderstanding between them. And so Jesus does this once again. He's extremely respectful. Do you remember when he's hanging on the cross? He's in the middle of six hours of suffering, pain and agony. And when he sees his mom down there, what does he say? John is next to, the apostle John is next to mom. What does he say? Woman, behold your son. And then to John... Behold your mother. What has Jesus just done? He's transferred care of his mom to who? To John. Okay, why not his brothers? Okay, at this point, they're still not believers. And so he's putting her in care of a like-minded person, a believer. And so he does that. And when he's on the cross, we read again, woman, and again, it's the same, very respectful term. 
very proper, very polite term. Behold, okay, I, I, how many of you are proper and polite when you have a toothache? When you have a migraine? When you're very hungry? It's called hangry. Are you respectful to those who are in your immediate household? Jesus was. He was observant of her needs, even though he was preoccupied with taking our sin. That's an amazing thought of compassion towards a parent. That Jesus in, and I don't mean to be irreverent, he was busy. He was far busier than we are, taking on the sins of the world, and he still had time to deal with his mother's needs. Couldn't do it physically, but he did it properly. So you look at this and go, wow, Jesus, this is amazing that Jesus would do this. So that's why I I propose to you, if you want to be Christ-like, you must be obedient while you are still under the household and you have to be respectful no matter what your age. You've got to be respectful. As well, we know that it's commanded, both the obey and the respecter commands. As well, he says, children, this is right. This is right to do. What he means, this is righteousness. In other words, anything less than obedience and respect is not righteous. It is sin. It is sin against God, and it portrays an ungodly spirit. Watch this. When God is describing in Scripture unsaved people, he says a reprobate mind shows in hating God, being proud, being boasters, inventor of evil things, and being disobedient to parents. Disobedient to parents is part of your sin activity, your sin nature. And he says in the last days... They're going to be lovers of themselves, covetous, boasters, proud, and the increase of disobedience to parents. That's not a good thing. He's talking about evil excelling and growing. You don't want to be a part of that. You don't want to be living by your sin nature and portraying your sinfulness by being disobedient, by being disrespectful. As well, we know this. He says, if you are obedient and respectful, you please the Lord. This is well-pleasing. And with that, he says, going all the way back to Exodus, he says there's a promise of reward. Do you remember how he put it, the first command with promise? Back in the Old Testament, that it may be well with you, spiritual blessings, as well as the idea that you may live long upon the earth. That's not because your parents would take you out. That is a possibility. Okay. But the idea is that God can bless you as you get older. A lot, some of that blessing is dependent to, for the Jewish peoples. It was dependent on how did they treat their parents. Okay. And so there's this consequence of what you do. You want to see a really cool illustration of this. Is There's a story given in Jeremiah, chapter 35. You can read it. Take time to read it. Just, I want to breeze through it. It is a story of one family and how they obeyed and respected their father. The timing of this story is, it's a time when um, Jerusalem is under siege. 
the Babylonians, which we talked about in Sunday school. The Babylonians are there as part of God's discipline, and they're attacking the city. And so the Jews from the surrounding countryside, they all took refuge inside the walls of Jerusalem. While they're inside, Jeremiah is preaching, and he's talking to the crowd. He says, obey God, listen to God. Come on, people. You keep on saying, we want to hear the word of the Lord, and I give it to you, and you don't listen. And you just, you keep on resisting God's word and will and not submitting to him. And look, outside, the enemy is outside our gate. This is God's, a God spank on us. And they're there. Listen. But they don't. They refuse to listen. So God tells Jeremiah, he says, there's a family here in town. Invite them to the temple. And when they come to the temple, you know, get a conversation with them and with the Jewish leaders. And so he gets this family who are called the Rechabites. And he invites them over to the temple. And they gather in one of the chambers that are around the temple area. And he's giving a special time. And when they're there, Jeremiah offers them wine to drink. Social thing to do. Offer them wine. They refuse. They're surprised. They refuse the wine. Why would you refuse? This, you know, water is at, a, is at a, you know, a high rate right now because we're under siege. So why wouldn't you drink the wine? And they respond and they tell him, the reason that we're not drinking the wine is because our father told us that we shouldn't drink wine. They're talking about not just dad. They're talking like great, great, great grandpa. His name was Jonadab. He's a hero that comes up earlier in the Old Testament. Do you ever remember hearing about Ahab and Jezebel? Yes, no? Thumbs up, thumbs down. Good? Evil, evil? Okay, evil, evil. When, um, when they were taken down, there was, there was a guy who helped king, the king take them down. When he, he, Yehu went in and tried to get rid of them, one of his generals was Jonadab who is the great-great-great-grandpa of the Rechabites. And they're relaying this, and they know he's a hero. He's like, a, for us, we would say, like a World War II famous general. And now the generations beyond that, they're saying, well, he told us before he died that we, his children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, that what we were to do is don't get into wine as well don't build houses. Live like you are pilgrims in this land. Don't, don't do the farming. Just you know, do the sheep rearing and the cattle, stuff like that. Live a nomadic lifestyle. He was looking back to like Abraham and those. By the way, does the Old Testament command the Jews never to sow crops? No, no. Did it command the Jews never to drink wine? No. Did it command them to live as nomads? No, not really. But this was Jonadab's preference for his family to help them keep just a a certain mindset that we are just a passing through. This world is not our home. And so what they did now, you know, for the last 300 years, the family's been listening to him. The family as well, you know, he's, he's dust, but they're still listening to great-great-great-grandpa. They, they, in fact, they're doing something that's not popular. It's not the normal thing. But they're doing it because this is what granddad had asked and commanded us to do. They are doing it, even though these things aren't prohibited in the Word of God. Why are they doing it? 
Tell me a reason why they were still listening to a dead guy 300 years earlier. Respect. They respected his wishes. That's it. That's all. That, that's, it's purely out of respect for their father that they would live this way. You know, there's so much we can say, but let me just park on this for a second. Mom and dad, big, big kids, if you want your kids to listen to you, you need to earn their respect. Why should they listen to you if you are a hypocrite? Why would they want to work at being honest when they hear you being dishonest? Why would they say, why would they want in their heart to live separate from the world when you don't? When you aren't living that way? Why, why would they want to be very careful not to take the name of the Lord in vain when you cuss? You cannot expect your kids to follow your standards of righteousness unless you live up to them to the best of your ability. So this family is listening to them for hundreds of years now. And so God used this family. They're there, they're telling the story, and God says, Jeremiah, the, uh, standing around are the Jewish leaders. I want you to use this family as an example. And then the rest of the chapter, he starts asking questions, God does, to the other people, using the Rechabites as an example. Here's, let me, I paraphrased it. Why can't you, God speaking, why can't you obey me, your heavenly father, the way the Rechabites obeyed an imperfect earthly father? Why can't you? They're following dad's wishes. You won't even follow my commands. It goes, the Rechabites obeyed their earthly father when he spoke just once. You don't obey me when I've sent prophet after prophet after prophet. The Rechabites obeyed their earthly father when he spoke of earthly things. And I'm talking about spiritual things, eternal things, and you won't listen. He says, the Rechabites obeyed their earthly father when he spoke 300 years ago. I'm speaking to you now through Jeremiah, and you won't listen. My friend, before we go any further, there's a, there's a, lot, of, there's a lot of preaching in this. Tremendous amount. That if we were the Jews standing there, listening while Jeremiah gives God's message and looking at the Rechabites, how would you feel? I obey God the way they obey their dad. I've been following God's word the way they followed his wishes. I'm doing it now the way that they've been doing it for 300 years. Can you say that? Can you say that you follow his commands? Baptism, forgiveness, giving out the word of God. Man, what an illustration. Anyway, what happens then is God says to the Rechabites, because of your example, I'm going to bless you. And he pronounces a special blessings. And remember, they're under invasion. A lot of, a lot of them are going to be wiped out. He says, your household will have a special protection to it because of your example. 
I'm going to help you through this battle. I'm going to help you in the days ahead. That you will, you will have a presence of Rechabites for generations. So, when we bring it back to that whole story, young people, could God reward you for the way that you are obedient and respectful? Would it be a well-placed reward? Are you a good example that God could use to others, like your younger brothers and sisters? We, we could ask this, is God pleased with the way that you talk to your parents? We could get more specific. We, we could be talking about specific things in your life, like do you do what you're told? Do you keep the rules when mom and dad aren't around? Or are you, are you watching programs or visiting websites that mom and dad say, nope, they're not for you, but you still insist you can do it? You're using your phone and computer in a way that is against your parents' rules? That's sin against God. That's sin against your parents. If your mom and dad set up a, a, a standard for attire, if your mom and dad say you're not supposed to go certain places, do you listen? Do you respect them? When mom and dad say, hey, this is the type of music we want in our house. When they say, hey, listen, I want you when we are talking to speak respectfully to me. No sassing. No rolling the eyes. No storming off. Or are you one of those that when your parents are around, you're ripping on them? You're tearing them down? You know, do you refuse to do what you're being told? As well, you know, in the sense that, you know, when, God, when your parents talk to you, do you, do you lie at them? Do you, do you, does it bother you when you tell them an untruth? You know, then we come down to that idea of being respectful and being appreciative of them. We could talk on that for weeks and weeks. But the, the question is, is, do you need to make some things right? To say, God, I have sinned in this area. My disobedience was wrong. And that's blocking my fellowship with you and my parents. And I need to confess it. Then do it. Then do it. Then make sure you understand that you, when you are sassing, when you are disobeying, that is sin. That's wrong. So what about the kids who are a little bit older? What about us who are no longer living at our parents' house? Do we have a responsibility? Yeah, to be respectful. But we also have what First Timothy talks about. Doing what Jesus did when Jesus was on the cross. Making sure that our parents are being taken care of. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, and I close with this passage. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, he is writing and he's saying, Timothy, I want you to teach this to the church. I want you to make sure that all of people in the church know this, no matter what their age, that this is a biblical rule. You got 1 Timothy chapter 5? There's a verse in here that's really important. It is in the setting of dealing with older people. He talks about in the, this passage, verse 5, talking about a widow indeed, one who is desolate. Okay, she, He goes on, he says, you, know, you need to be careful about the individual. Some, some who are older, they may not live godly. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about godly living people. He says in verse 8, If any provide not for his own, his own relative who is older, and especially for those of his own household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Very clearly what he's saying in this text is, I and you are required to do a couple things. One is this, you've got to be in communication with older folks. 
your parents. You've got to be in communication with them. You've got to know what's happening in their house. You've got to help them if they need physical assistance. You've got to help them or make sure that help is taken care of. This is commanded. This is our responsibility. So you have to ask yourself, okay? And I'm going to ask it now of those who are my age group and below. Okay, this thought. If in the years ahead, your kids visit as much as you visit your parents, you're going to be in tears? I plead on behalf of parents who are now housebound or in facilities, caregiving facilities. Do you visit your parents? Do you even bother to be in communication? If your kids did what you did, if they do in the future what you're doing right now, how are you going to feel? You are obligated by the Word of God to be able to appreciate them, show them, care for them. And with, with this, appreciate your parents. I told you that some of this is counseling. Some of this is just personal opinion. Let me give you a strong personal opinion. Some of you still have the privilege of your parents around. Some of us no longer do. And I was reminded once again this week, I came out of the car, I was walking up to the building, I grabbed my phone out of my pocket because something one of the grandkids had done and I wanted to share it with my mom. She's not here. But she's still my mom. And I thought to myself as I put my... And thinking, how stupid, how forgetful. You're really getting old. And I walked through the foyer and I'm thinking to myself, did I tell them enough how much I appreciated them? Did I let them know? This is a good day. This is a good day. To be the child to your parent, no matter what your age and theirs, to let them know, I thank God for you. Let them know. Father, I pray, help us to be children who follow your word of God, no matter what our age, that we share, that we let them know, that we obey, that we respect. And Father, help us to not get so busy this day that we forget about them, those who are older. Help the teens not to walk out of here and say, well, that was good for so-and-so. Help, help them to have a spirit of yieldedness, openness. If there needs to be some restoration, some confession, let it be done this morning between kids and parents. Help us to live up to your word. By the story example of the Rechabites, help us to be peoples who are committed to doing your will, your way, when you want us to. We pray this in Jesus' name. If you're here this morning and you do not know Christ as your Savior, I want to be standing by the front door. Please, please let me know that if you want to talk with somebody, we will gladly get somebody to talk to you in private to show you from the Word of God how you can respond to Christ this day and call upon Him as your Savior. Thanks for being here. See you tonight. Have a good afternoon.